You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. Tonight I kind of wanted to go over some major themes, and then over the next several weeks kind of pull them apart um, more or less in order. But I wanted to uh, kind of lay it out there, lay this teaching out there in a way that hopefully is somewhat digestible. So we're kind of at uh, kindergarten for awakening, I guess. Maybe we could call it that. In the <coughs> At the basics or at the roots of uh, these non-dual teachings or this non-dual teaching. The Buddha talked about four noble truths in that life is suffering is our first noble truth and our second one that there is a cause to that suffering. The third noble truth that there is an end to that suffering and the fourth noble truth that there is a path Or another way of saying that, that life is hard. Uh, There's a reason for it being hard. It doesn't have to stay that way, and here's how. That's quite a bastardization, but nonetheless, you could kind of make that case. Um, I have more or less found that it's easiest to squish them together into three, three areas that we can look at very, very carefully. And the, uh, the way we can outline it is essentially there is a struggle, there's a cause to this struggle, and there's a way out of this struggle. The struggle itself implies that there is kind of this, this war, and the war can exist on not only on the interior but also on the exterior, and when those two two things, the interior and the exterior, are at war with each other, we develop this uh, struggle in almost an exponential way. It becomes much more intense, in other words. Yasutani Roshi said that the fundamental delusion is that I am in here and everything else is out there. And I love kind of starting there because if we can all get a sense of this, that we operate our lives with this idea that the I or the me or what I refer to as I've said, the the ego, exists somehow behind, I don't know, our face and that we live from that place and that everything else kind of happens is interpreted, categorized, manipulated, twisted, turned, filed away, and then we respond or deal with it, whatever that is. Or we don't deal with it, whatever. We live our life kind of from this place of atomized separation. This usually leads to an intense alienation. And one of the things that exacerbates this alienation is this feeling that I somehow am not enough. that I am somehow lacking. I'm not perfect. 
And we might even tell ourselves, I'm not perfect, and that's okay. But we might not believe that. We might say it, but that we're coming from this position of lack. We could also say that we come from a position of feeling like we are just too much, which might be the same way of saying that we feel like we lack subtlety. <laughs> Still, it's a we are coming from a position of lack, and we deal with this struggle, this, this, this separation, this sense that I am in here and everything else is out there generates this struggle. And the space between that which we feel is I in here and that which we feel is out there, that space right there is the sum total of our anguish. That's where it plays. That's where it gets fuel. That's where it dances. That's where our pain actually intensifies. That's where our pain replicates itself. And so our work, in essence, is to recognize that that right there, that space between self and other, if it is not addressed, that struggle leads us into a real deep unhappiness. So this work is to study that, and in our studying of that process, we begin to deconstruct it, and in our deconstruction of this process, we begin to actually kind of look at it. We can assess it, and then we can e either decide to stay in that semi-conscious state, which is actually even more painful, or we can actually transcend and include the whole mess. And in that transcendence, we become free of it. So making this real simple, we begin with the struggle. Rumi said, pain will be born from that look cast inside yourself, and this pain will make you go behind the veil. And in going behind the veil, we are free. And in many cases, it can be very quick <laughs> that our freedom just kind of shows up in ways that the I or the me or the ego never imagined. And while it may not seem like such a big deal, it can radically change our lives forever. So in looking at this struggle, if we kind of pull it apart, we can recognize that uh, over a long enough timeline, the survival rate of all things comes to zero. The survival rate of all things over a long enough period of time hits zero. We could say the death rate over a long enough period of time is 100%. Nothing, nothing lasts forever. Everything is temporary, and yet we build entire lifestyles, entire philosophies, 
entire uh, ways of being around this uh, protection, the protecting of our lives, of our livelihoods, of our loves, of our reputations, of our minds. We want to keep them. And so what we do is we just build a fortress. And we can build fortresses around each of those components individually or more often collectively. And we begin protecting this separate sense of self. And the preservation of what works to support this activity or the eradication of what doesn't support this activity is what defines the struggle. I'll say that again. The struggle is defined by what supports the activity to protect ourselves, to protect the separation, to actually protect the atomized alienation from all other things. And anything that threatens to break that wall down, we work to eradicate that. We work to kill it. We work to get it out of the way. So we are constantly in this push and pull situation. This is the struggle. The struggle is, I want more of this or less of that. And that tipping back and forth and back and forth, push and pull, that defines our struggle. Now you could say, well, that, that's normal life, Mike. Yes, that might be what you consider or I would consider to be normal life. Awakening is not normal. Okay? Awakening is not normal. And if that's what we're endeavoring to do, then being able to study that which is normal with a full mind and a full heart and an open mind and an open heart becomes really, really critical. So there is a cause to this struggle of, I want more of this, I want less of that. There's a cause to this. And oddly enough, the cause is our clinging to this very struggle. Our clinging to the, we even define it as normal so that we can be comfortable with it, you know? We cling to this struggle because it is familiar. We cling to this struggle because it's all we've ever known. We cling to this struggle because it is a habitualized inertia. <laughs> it's the way things work. It's the way we survive is to get more of this and less of this. But this clinging is actually this, this uh, 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 you, can, you can almost look at it like it's, um, uh, I sometimes say it's as if we're living in a bunker. It's actually a house of cards, but we think it's a very strong and fortified bunker. We live in this bunker, and living here 
living in this space where our moves are only one dimensional, you know, where it's either this way or this way, this way, it's like etch a sketch. Talked about this before. You know, you know, in Etch-A-Sketch, you could actually draw a clown if you spent five and a half hours and your dad didn't turn too quickly in the family station wagon or whatever. You could actually do it, but how uh, you could only go in those, those two directions and to make a diagonal line was so hard, you know? Similarly, we look at those motions as being, that is the struggle. It's very hard to make beautiful art of our lives when we can only go in those directions yet we cling to it. Living in this bunker, or house of cards, however you like to look at it, actually prevents realization. Our addiction to our fortification is what keeps us from awakening to the fullness that we actually always have already had. Our clinging is what prevents us from actually seeing the truth that is beyond name and form. And when I say truth, I don't mean mine. I don't mean the Buddha's. I don't mean Christ's. Okay? I'm talking about the truth that goes way past any person's definition of it. So, what kind of truth am I talking about here? That this, the struggle, our addiction, our clinging to this struggle keeps us from seeing. The truth actually has three component pieces to it. First component piece is the recognition that all things are temporary. Nothing lasts forever. We don't recognize that every single thing in this material world, matter, body, mind, is temporary. We don't recognize that. Or, better yet, we refuse to recognize it. No matter what, we refuse to recognize that if it is born, it will die. And not facing that becomes the work of contemporary society. Not facing that temporary nature of all things, refusing to face it, is the work of society. We have all these, I should say, these points in society that help us anesthetize our experience from that recognition. <laughs> That's a lot of words there, but basically I'm just saying that uh, the work of society is to keep us into a, you know, a space where we feel like things can be permanent, and they can't be, ever. The second uh, aspect of this truth beyond name and form is that we don't recognize that everything in this reality is totally interdependent with all other things. We don't recognize that every single thing in this universe is relational. Instead, we operate under the assumption 
that I and everything else can actually operate in an independent isolation. I love the, for, for instance, when you, when, you eat, when you drink your grapefruit juice in the morning or orange juice or whatever it is that you drink in the morning, for that matter, whenever you drink anything, can you recognize all the things that miraculously have occurred to get that fluid into your body? When I'm drinking my grapefruit juice, I always try to remind myself sometimes I'm more successful than others, but can I taste the sunshine that went into making that simple little glass? Can I taste the water? Can I taste every aspect of every single human being whose efforts went into creating that grapefruit juice? Can you do the same with coffee? Can you do the same with your bacon and eggs? The lives that were given to create, the, I mean, living our life at that level of connectivity creates a whole different experience. It generates a whole different appreciation when we recognize that all things are relational. I am dependent on all of you for my very life. In real absolute terms, any one of you could come up to me right now and like stick a pencil in my ear or something and I would die. And you would be caught on tape for all the world to hear. <laughs> the point is that I depend on you. You depend on me. We all depend on each other as we get on the road that someone hasn't had too much to drink or that someone is actually paying attention. We depend. We are always but always in relation to one another. And the third aspect of this truth beyond name and form is that we don't recognize that everything is positively infinite at its core. We don't recognize that there is nothing that is not a variation of the infinite. We don't recognize that there is not one single thing that is not spirit in action. And so when we ignore the fact that all things at their core are spirit, and we ignore that all things are relational, and we ignore that all things are temporary, we sleep. This is the cause to the struggle, because you struggle when you are asleep in this way. So the way to end this struggle in really basic terms, and again, I'm going to go through these in more detail in the weeks ahead, but basically, number one, we need to become deeply aware of our struggle, of our clinging. 
we need to become aware of that struggle. We need to become aware of that clinging. Just watching it like we do our thoughts. Number two, we need to become aware of how long we have gone after and have avoided the things that support our habitual clinging. For that matter, we just need to be aware of every bit of our greed and aversion, every bit of our craving of something and our cravings of not something. We need to be aware of that motion. We need to be aware of that in us which feels compelled to move in those ways. We need to be aware of our addiction to our own sense of ego. And the third thing, after we talk about our number one, becoming aware of our struggle and our clinging, number two, becoming aware, aware of how we go after and avoid things, and the peace in us that does that, thirdly, we need to become still. And in the process of becoming still, we let that in us, which can witness all of our clinging, inform our conscious letting go of everything. We need to, once again, let that in us, which can witness all of our clinging, inform our conscious letting go of all things. And once we get to this point, there is a conscious recognition of what lies beyond the struggle. Or what, as Rumi said, lies beyond the veil. And we need to be fearless about it because it usually involves, the struggle usually involves a fair amount of discomfort. Back to his quote, pain will be born from that look inside yourself and this pain will make you go beyond the veil. And that's the path we take. That's the path that helps us recognize that the fundamental delusion is that I am in here and everything else is out there. And what is then reborn in us is a very, very clear sense that all things are one. All things are one. And that in this infinite spaciousness, we find our home. Um, this is, was a great talk because I got in my car this afternoon or this early this evening instead of finishing taking down the Christmas decorations and drove to the Lutheran Church parking lot and sat there and cried about how absolutely alone I felt oh. and just sobbed and yeah. thought, what is the answer? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? What? Yeah. It was like, you know, I did feel better after half an hour, but I didn't have a solution. You know, uh, I'm 
struggling right now because part of me feels like I, I, I don't need to offer any commentary to what you just said. I mean, it, it is such a, the minute we go into that purge, what is the answer? That questioning right there, that questioning with that kind of intensity and singularity of focus always leads us to something breathtaking. But getting to that place of surrender is not something that our separate self-sense ever wants to let us do because it's totally out of control. Its job is to stay in control, keep us in the bunker, keep the house of cards looking just like a bunker. And all it takes is that breath to knock down the house of cards. And we get glimpses then of that truth beyond name and form. It doesn't show itself necessarily as anything concrete that we can grasp, grasp or avoid, <laughs> you know, but that we can just open to it. And opening to the question is, in this sense, the same thing as receiving the answer that's infused with this ultimate truth. 